0: Hello World Singers! My name is Brooke. And I'm Tyler. And this is Cosmere, Cosmere Conversations. Conversations.
1: Welcome back everyone. We are here for the finale of our reread. Wow. We did it. This has just been incredible. This has
0: been going on for a while. Our reread is finally coming to a conclusion. And
1: this is just the official reread of the major Cosmere novels. But we also I mean, we
0: did... Yeah, we did a full short story reread as well.
1: Exactly. So the drought has been long and the rereads have been ever present. But this is our end. We conclude now in the tail end of August 2020 in preparation, waiting for Rhythm of War to be released early November with Oathbringer part five, the interludes, the epilogue, and the Ars Arcanum, everything towards the end of the book. That's what we're looking at in this episode.
0: Once again, thank you to past us for choosing this division of this book Because my notes for part five alone are (laughs) extensive.
1: And if you did not catch the last episode, that was like an hour and a half. So (laughs) we're in for it once again. Let's just we. I mean, I finaled last night. I finished completely Oathbringer, set it down, done last night. It's very fresh in my mind. The wound might not be fully healed. It was reopened as I reread.
0: Yeah, I can't say that there won't be some crying in this episode.
1: But we're going to get through it because this is it. And we have, well, let's just go right into our can't wait section.
0: Yeah, what can't you wait to talk about?
1: I think it's a stunning conclusion to the middle book of the Stormlight Archive, you know, first series. And we talked about some of the challenges that that presents in our last episode. I just think it is really, really well done. Easily one of the most engaging, complicated, and also like really well organized finales that Brandon has ever written. And it makes me super excited for Rhythm of War, which he's already dropped hints of that he likes the ending and like his beta (laughs) readers like the ending.
0: Yeah, I think that's a great point because I am really impressed by the style choices that Sanderson made for this last section. The last part five is basically just one chapter Mm-hmm. I think that there are chapter breaks. Yeah, there's three or four real chapter <laughs> breaks,
1: but they're not. Like
0: at one point when I was reading on my Kindle, you know, at the bottom, it tells you how long you have left in the chapter. And I looked and it was like one hour left in chapter. And I had already <laughs> read like maybe a quarter of
1: it. Yeah, I mean, yeah it's h- like a 100 pages or something that just yeah. makes up the end of the book. And it's just a huge massive chunk.
0: But I think the stylistic choice of uh, not having very many like big breaks and also the stylistic choice of having a lot of like small breaks cutting back and forth between points of view is super effective for pace and storytelling and like atmosphere. And it's great.
1: I totally agree. But if we're going to talk about one thing specifically other than just like generally I liked it. The specific thing for me that I can't wait to talk about is Queen Yasna.
0: Oh, man. Yasna is such a baller.
1: We have been referencing the moment that Yasna becomes queen and how yeah, important that is. You will
0: not stop talking about Queen Yasna.
1: <laughs> I love it. I love it for a bunch of reasons. But then rereading the battle sequence and then leading up to her. She doesn't get coronated because they have Adolin and Shallan's wedding first. And it looks like uh, Queen Yasna. Was like she coordinated even, in private. Yeah, she
0: was like, I don't even need a ceremony. Just give me the crown, bitch. She just comes like,
1: out with a crown one I, day. She's not, yeah.
0: it's like, she's not about the pomp and circumstance, right? She's like, I stop wasting my time. Let me just do my job. Just like, give me the crown. All right, great. Like, let's just get on with life.
1: But she does a bunch of things. A, she maybe manifests her shard plate during the battle.
0: I am like 99% convinced that that's what it is now
1: yes it is okay so the description in the scene is that a bunch of geometric shapes and kind of like a haze of geometric shapes all disperse around her yeah it was like like
0: comes around the corner Mm -hmm. and catches her and just sees sort of the like tail end of something happening geometric shapes fading away from around her so i and, can't imagine the and geometric it specifically shapes. says that it's different from the smoke of her soul casting
1: yes so it has to be something else it's not her soul casting i imagine that much like her fighting style which is the most kind of fluid and she just kind of jumps in and out of using her shard blade and then her soul casting
0: well especially at this time right because the three realms are closer together yeah her power so great yeah she is able to fight i think much differently than she would be able to under other circumstances because her soul casting comes so much easier
1: it would just make sense that her shard plate could manifest and then disperse quickly right instead of being more uh stable like you would imagine other knight's radiance to just keep it on all the time she, she seems like someone and the way she fought with her other weapons that it would just kind of pop in and out as needed which i think is cool and a super yeah because awesome i
0: think she is more of a uh an archer in a way right like she wants to disperse a threat before it gets close enough that she would need her shard plate <laughs> like yes. if she needs her shard plate that's a not ideal circumstance (laughs) certainly on the subject of shard plate i think because this was like big speculation when we were first reading oathbringer and on this reread i am like more on the shard plate bandwagon of the theory of like other spren sort of manifesting a knight's radiance Shard plays mm,
1: like the windspren for Kaladin,
0: yes, and specifically because this time I noticed that while they are in Shadesmar, it's mentioned that there are more windspren flocking to Kaladin. Oh,
1: yeah, on the ship, they're like freaking out. The honor spren are like, I've never seen a windspren on this side before because they have no reason to be here, there's no wind.
0: Then and then also later when he's fighting the fused and they're like trying to get back to the physical realm, there's a bunch of windspren like flying around him, fighting with him um, right before he fails to say the fourth ideal, which is Mm -hmm. when he would be getting his shard plate. And then when he even when he goes back into the physical realm, um, he is described as having a bunch of windspren around him. And he wonders, like, are these the same spren that were gathering around me in Shadesmar? So to me, that is like more evidence that this theory is correct.
1: And we'll save some of the uh, Shallan version of Shardplate for later. Tell me about your what you can't wait to talk about.
0: What I can't wait to talk about is, is Dalinar facing down this immense challenge Clutching his book, The Way of Kings. There is just something about him, like wielding this precious talisman of a book in this moment, that is just so moving to me. Maybe because at various points in my life, I have like basically done that same thing with a favorite book, like legitimately carried it around with me all the time, like, put it in my backpack when I went to school, took it out when I got home, like, it was literally always with me as this, you know, sort of protected, comforting uh, reminder of, like, the person that I wanted to be, the person that I could be, um, this little, you know, very damageable paper book <laughs> um, sort of standing between me and all of the bad things. And so the descriptions of Dalinar, like, quite literally clutching onto it like a child would clutch onto a teddy bear throughout so many of these exchanges is just so poignant. And the fact that as he goes out to face this challenge, he doesn't grab a sword, he doesn't grab a weapon, he doesn't grab a shield or armor or anything like that. What he grabs is a book. And then, like, at various points, he drops it, and he's, like, frantically searching through the rubble, trying to grab it, and it just it just hit me right in the heart, man.
1: I think that that's also reflective of where, kind of, a meta-contextual idea about, for an author writing a book, and an epic book, and, you know, the magnum opus as we said many times, the concept that, in a pinch you're not going to reach for the sword or the the shield, but the thing that is able to understand you in a way that maybe you didn't even understand yourself or you thought you were completely alone in your understanding of something and then you read these words written by someone else and it forms that connection and that bond is so hard to shake and it's why so many people that get real into reading are lifelong readers i feel i find it's kind of either an on or off switch for a lot of people there's not a bunch of people who are like you know i was super into reading and then one day i just stopped (laughs) um because once you know that that magic exists it's kind of hard to get it anywhere else you know a movie tv show tries and the video games try um but there's something incredible about this connection that is happening in your mind and the imagination and the way that you fill in all the gaps with your own it's like what um christopher nolan talked about in an inception it's like the dream state is built mm. by the engineer and then it's populated by the dreamer and mm-hmm. you just kind of put in people and you you fill in all the gaps that are missing and that kind of symbiotic relationship that a reader and an author have is really beautiful and obviously it's something that dalinar and noadon uh have as well through the way of kings and so yeah that moment is top five for sure i'll gush about it more later do you have any rough cuts i this? don't okay. i have nothing
0: i have no qualms
1: i do because you <laughs> did
0: that's a big statement i know
1: but you i wanted to <laughs> be critical and kind of look at it with a critical eye and i think that this is important especially for those listeners who may have only read once uh, before going into Rhythm of War, the final battle has this wondrous, incredibly impressive interspersing and intercut narrative where it's jumping back and forth between all our characters and bringing in Teft and Lift and Zeth and all these different stuff is all happening at once. But I felt the weakest part of all of that interspersing is the battle between Kaladin and Amaram.
0: Mm, Yeah. Yeah, I do think that there are certain aspects of, like we were talking about, that style of short breaks and cutting back and forth that put you sort of at a disadvantage that are a little bit disorienting, um, that don't quite give the same continuity. Like sometimes it is difficult to put together the pieces of one story or, like, one sequence that is happening in the context of the larger battle to understand what exactly is happening in that particular section of it. So, I get that criticism. I think I I felt, like, sort of the opposite this read. <laughs> I told you a few times, the first time I read Oathbringer, I was reading part five so fast. So fast yeah. You were literally so running fast.
1: ahead of the Sanders avalanche.
0: Yes. Yeah. I was like sprinting in my mind, which the style of the way that it's told facilitates that. Yes. It wants you to feel uh, that pace, that speed.
1: Battle pace.
0: But. I lost a lot. Yes. (laughs) I lost a lot. So this time reading, I went a little bit slower. I did not read all of part five in one sitting in the car while my parents looked for a Christmas tree because I literally couldn't stop reading. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I took my time and... It was very helpful in determining what exactly is happening.
1: <laughs> well, let's see if we can break it down because, uh, again, I thought this was a little bit confusing. I think it's made harder by the fact that in all the interspersing, Kaladin is also interspersing between like different enemies. He goes from oh. fighting Amaram to fighting the Fuse to like running back to Dalinar and like jumping, flying, skidding. But it's... It's very difficult to kind of keep track when on top of that, his action scenes are interspersed with other characters' action scenes. So there is a spren that is, or excuse me, not a spren, but one of the unmade, Yelignar in smoke form that is hanging out next to Dalinar and Odium when they have their meeting. Amaram is given a stone that he swallows and it is the swallowing of that stone that or gem, uh, that allows Yelignar to possess and kind of take over Amaram. He never fully, um, takes over in ways that we've seen happen to other characters. Amaram is still there and that's made clear in the fight that Amaram is not like just a slave to Yelignar. Yeah, he references...
0: Specific memories mm-hmm. and his feelings and thoughts about things.
1: And Yelignar's power, or what he bestows upon Amaram, is, we believe, every single one of the surges, or at least a large number of the surges.
0: Yeah, and that is supported by the epigraphs from Hesse's Mythica. Mythica. Mm-hmm. She describes Yelignar as being one of the most powerful, unmade, giving. You know, seemingly unlimited, like super
1: powerful abilities, like like an ultra super powered now thing in the physical realm, or able to like be used in the physical realm through Amaram. And I honestly thought I didn't count it; I should have counted. But Amaram went for his shard bow like three different times, two or three different times. Amaram is just like walking over to get his shard bow while Kaladin is fighting something else, and I'm like. You are the most powerful thing outside of Odium on the battlefield. Why is Amaram dealing with Shardbow? Why doesn't he just like go fly over and kill Kaladin or kill anyone?
0: Yeah, and that's one of those things that I do think get sort of lost or confused in the way that this part is told. Mm-hmm. Because I feel the same way. I'm like, wait, I don't remember like he has two shard blades. Yeah. What happened to his shard blades? Because if he just dropped them, you know, then they would puff back into mist. He would be able to recall them. So where are they? And like, why is he not using them? Why is he going for the shard bow? It's definitely mentioned that Kaladin puts particular effort into getting his shard bow out of his reach.
1: And I guess it's those multiple mentions of the shard bow are to set up Amaram's eventual death at the hand of Rock. Yeah. Who... We believe uses stoneward power uh, to bend the shard bow or pull draw the shard bow and shoots the gem heart out of Amarim or basically shoots that and breaks it, severing the bond with Yelignar. We don't think Yelignar is dead or in any way defeated. It would have just reverted back to its smoke form, maybe waiting for a new host of sorts. That will need to be confirmed in Rhythm of War, but that's my rough cut. That was like in all the chaos and the craziness of the finale, I did think that there were parts that could be, you could get confused on. It wasn't the Dalinar parts. It wasn't even the Shallan parts. Um, there were a lot of, like, really well-written, very clear parts amid amid the chaos, but Kaladin's, I felt, was lacking, which is fine, because Kaladin has had a lot of screen time, and, like, a fight is still cool, um, but it was, like, only action and very little
0: substance, yeah, exactly. I mean, I guess if you want to talk about emotional substance, he got the satisfaction of finally facing Amaram mm-hmm. and you know the differences between Amaram and Dalinar, right? Amaram gave in to yes. that uh guilt free living of like it wasn't my fault. Mm-hmm. I don't need to feel bad about any of this. I killed your squad and I felt super bad and then I was just like, whatever.
1: Yeah. <laughs> Odium did that. <laughs> yeah, it's fine. Maybe. I think that that is a good, that's probably the best thing that you can take away is like yeah, that, that and I think that is like the, the more main, important yes. takeaway. I do think that the eventual, hopeful version of this that we get on the big screen or the TV screen <laughs> is going to be incredible because a full battle with radiance flying around and armies clashing and gigantic thunderclass oh my destroying a city i'm just the the imagery is sticking it has stuck with me stunning yeah and it's going to continue to stick with me and so i just i can't wait to see that i hope that one day we get to see that even if we're like 50 thousand years old like i'll hold on until then i'll do the dorian gray thing and we'll just (laughs)
0: picture
1: this out until i can get some stormlight archive
0: all right let's go into some of our favorite moments i think we have some overlap here um
1: do you want to start us off talking about zeth and nightblood
0: yeah let's swing back to zeth and nightblood um, I have a few things to follow up on our last episode about the interesting and maybe like perfect relationship between Zeth and Nightblood. Um, and Zeth spends a little bit of time in this book thinking about why Nail gave him this sword mm-hmm. and like what it's supposed to teach him. Is it supposed to be a lesson? Like what what, a, what is the point? Why do I have this sword and in this final battle is when zeth wields night blood in its full yeah glory
1: yeah horrific glory yeah
0: in its full terribleness <laughs> um, and uh so i pulled out a quote to sort of s- support what i said in our last episode where i just sort of alluded to this quote zeth found purpose in wielding the sword It screamed at him to destroy evil, even if evil was obviously a concept that the sword itself could not understand. Its vision was occluded, like Zeth's own. A metaphor. How is a twisted soul like his to decide who should die? Impossible. And so he put his trust in someone else, someone whose light peeked through the shadow.
1: End quote. And of course, that is when... Zeth is fully committed and becomes fully committed to Dalinar instead of a code or a written set of laws, and also not the rest of the Skybreakers who are going to join the singers.
0: Yeah, and I think, I think that it's interesting that Zeth intuits or like automatically knows not to believe Nightblood when Nightblood you know, says destroy evil. I want to destroy evil. Zeth already instinctively knows that the sword has no concept of evil. Like no one told him that, you know, where I feel like past characters that we've seen interact with Nightblood. I don't know. You just like take him at his word, right? You're like, oh, okay. Like you're going to destroy evil. I believe you. Until someone like Vasher says, here's the problem. The sword doesn't know what evil is. But Zeth kind of already intuits that. And then again, because of his particular past he knows he already has like built in the ability to resist and we see that again quote a phantom sense called to him a desire to continue killing to revel in the butchery zeth rejected it sick he had never enjoyed this he could never enjoy this end quote
1: and i think the butchery that zeth was forced to do or that he felt he was forced to do when he was under the burden of the Oath Stone. And of course, his own rejection- It's like inoculated him to Nightblood in a way. And so that is really another example of all the pain and suffering that characters have gone through is necessary to get them to the moment where they are now leading up to Rhythm of War.
0: Absolutely. And then just to uh, lighten it up a little bit, in our original- oathbringer series we talked a lot about the amazing team that is zeth nightblood and Lyft. best team in the cosmere
1: <laughs> i want a buddy cop version of this so bad okay so i like, need
0: them to have like their own wax and Wayne series <laughs> yeah
1: we were talking about how we're gonna wait as long as possible to get a stormlight archive i want like the netflix uh defenders series you know like daredevil yeah, yeah, and yeah. jessica jones and stuff i want that but of zeth and Lyft. <laughs> and then we can get one for like all the different in between novellas uh-huh, so you have wondersale uh-huh. and edge dancer and that type of stuff uh just a story of zeth and Lyft. Mm. amazing yeah one it's so bad
0: one quote that really made me laugh in the middle of all of the drama and intensity of part five quote Zeth settled down lightly beside her.
1: I have failed to carry this burden.
0: That's okay. Your weird face is burden enough for one man.
1: Your words are wise, he said, nodding.
0: (laughs) He's so serious, and Lyft is so funny.
1: There are a lot of great Lyft moments, and you can tell that. And Lyft Lyft and
0: Nightblood just like being BFFs immediately is
1: amazing and i do want to give like a small credit for Nightblood because while he has some difficulty telling what is evil and what is not and you know no restraint in his destroy command he also does have the ability to sense out goodness like he doesn't kill some people yeah uh when they hold him or wield him and lift is one of those people um, Vivenna obviously He's, is another.
0: Okay, here's a thought. He's a little bit like the Unmade. The Unmade that we've seen anyway. Um, like Jana? Well, the Midnight Mother I'm mm, thinking of yes. and also the Thrill are both described as uh, sort of like trying to understand humans mm-hmm. but not really being able to because they are confined to their specific intent in a way and nightblood is kind of like that he's like trying to understand people and you can see that in the way that he mimics lift in particular in this book he like picks up a bunch of her slang words there's one moment when she's like oh great and then then he's like isn't it great (laughs) (laughs) so that's like his way of trying to understand like trying to incorporate himself into the human world but being constricted by his command how about you
1: well one of i think the most interesting and mysterious aspects of part five is how much renarin we get
0: oh my gosh i have i have so much to say about renarin pages and pages
1: of renarin there's A bunch that happens in terms of his own character growth. He obviously has been the odd man out, the ugly duckling of the family for much of the story, gaining in power when we find out he's a knight. Radiant, but still awkward and confused. But there's a moment when he is chasing the Thunderclass and Adolin comes up yeah And it's like Renarin has Adolin doesn't evolved. have a shard plate. Yeah, and he's like, What he's are like, you doing, Renarin,
0: bro? I'm here to help you, you know, in the way of that like big brother, like he Well, it's the right?
1: reverse of the situation when Renarin came out on the field in the very first book when they're fighting oh, the chasm yeah. theme. And Dalinar's like, You fool, get back. You're you're gonna kill yourself and I'm going to then have to take care of you. Now Adolin is in that role and Renarin you know, in a godlike fashion, now surrounded by light, literally being stomped by thunder class and then springing back up, fully healing himself instantaneously. He has, because of his power, really also, it's like dragged his personality to evolve as well. And he gives that kind of new version of Renarin first to Adolin. He has that reversal of a role or maturity, I'll say where he's just in a very and different position than he was before.
0: Self-confidence. Mm-hmm. I think that what happens to him at the beginning of part 5 where he truly believes that he he's is going die. to die that Yasna yeah. is going to kill him in uh, he, the way that he puts it is Yasna's love fails mm. and she and she kills him. Um that and then the reversal of that, the refutation of that and his um realization that his visions can be wrong yes that is like his turning point where he suddenly feels like he can have self-confidence because he knows that he can ignore those visions
1: and i have a lot of thoughts on his visions and his visions being wrong in the ever-present quote not to trust anyone who says they can see the future clearly renard sees two things happening he sees his own death at Yasna's hand, and he sees his father becoming Odium's champion, which is why he's okay with dying, because he at least I don't have to see that, because that's going to be real bad for y'all. But neither of those things happen. And I think that this is because that future sight is definitely possible in the Cosmere, but even the shards have differing abilities and kind of skill in using future sight not even the shards are all equally great at seeing the future and so when a mortal is having a glimpse of future sight as the truth watchers are able to do and as some of the other characters throughout the Cosmere are able to do i feel like it's too overwhelming and so it becomes warped by the viewer
0: i think that it has more to do with the unreliability of seeing the future because the future is always changing i think yeah i think that it's more like you can't base your decisions on this one idea of what the future is going to be because the next millisecond that could change and so we see characters like taravangian and odium i think there's like a parallel sort of story there with teravangian and odium odium at one point is described as like uh someone says he's planned everything that's Mm. what he does um and i think that's really similar to teravangian with the diagram sort of having this idea of like i know i know everything i know exactly what's going to happen and so if i can just tailor all of my decisions around this one vision, then everything will be okay. But you have so many pitfalls with that because things are changing all the time and you sort of walk yourself
1: into a trap. Absolutely. And I think that part of the the warping that happens, whether it's with Odium or terravangian or Renarin, is that the, the magic of Seen future, the future or a potential future, then of course changes the viewer and a changer, a right. change in the viewer yep. then changes the possible futures. Yeah, and so Renarin saw his own death at the hands of Yasna, and then when Yasna came to kill him, he had already accepted the fact that he was going to die. But because he had accepted the fact that he was going to die, it made Yasna look at him differently, and so she couldn't go through with killing him. Yeah, and so you create this impossible a paradox you create a paradox basically where the future that renarin saw no longer can happen because he saw the future and that is kind of the what i think is the big problem with future sight is that it just creates infinite paradox loops that break down the ability to see the future and i find it's very interesting it's a fascinating way of dealing with A problem that brandon has introduced it's like the time turner in harry potter everyone was you know after year three or whatever when hermione's going back to get like a pluses and everything (laughs) everyone is like wait why don't we just use the magical time machine that you have like stowed away yeah it's it's a problem in the storytelling if a character can see perfectly the future uh because that makes your story kind of boring you just hey renard what's gonna happen next hey renard what's gonna happen next (laughs) hey renard what's gonna happen next this is a way to you start with the problem. Future side exists, but it's corrupted or flawed. Well, and, and factoring
0: in human choice, mm-hmm. right? And uh, and freedom, freedom of choice.
1: You got to make that decision early on if you believe in the freedom of choice right. or you do not. And there's more like a deterministic right. quality to your... Uh, And I think,
0: I think at least so far in these books, the choice. Yeah, the thing is in the favor of choice, like Dalinar specifically makes a choice here. Even Odium, right? Thinks that Dalinar is his champion. It's done. He like turns around to the fuse and he's like, okay, we've got our champion. You're going to follow him. You know, we're all set up. And then Dalinar makes the choice. Actually, no.
1: So this is the description of Renarin's power. It's related to mm. or phrased as if uh, he sees stained glass the versions of the future. Is
0: amazing! I love the aesthetic choices that Brandon has made for this power.
1: It's really cool and fairly unique, and ways Very that I haven't unique, like seen before. Say. Here's the quote. Referencing previously the fits that Renarin had, quote, he had new ones now that neither he nor Gliss could control. To his eyes, glass grew across the ground. It spread out like crystals, forming lattices, images, meanings, and pathways, stained glass pictures panel after panel, end quote. And it's in those panels of stained glass pictures that he sees his own death. sees His father become Odium's champion, things that are, we know, not what comes to pass. But there is even more because in the Teravangian Odium meetup, Renarin is not present, but he's important. Because Teravangian, while looking for something to say to Odium, because Odium is like caught him out on his dumb day, not even caught him out, Odium planned to meet Teravangian on his dumb day so that they There was no confusion in Taravangian that they were not on equal footing. The worst thing that could happen is Taravangian is like having one of his uppity days when he's like, I'm a super genius. I could definitely match wits with Odium. Odium just showed up just like, I want this to be clear. You're dumb as a rock and I am a god. (laughs) And Taravangian gets that and he's scrambling for something to say. And he sees this, quote, a section of words that had faded from golden to black. A ripple in what Odium could see. At its root, a name, Renarin Colin. I edited that down a little bit, but basically, a section of words that had been blacked out from Odium's vision, unable to see the path that Teravangian had written out, and something about Renarin Colin is super important, and Odium can't see it. And we don't know why.
0: I can't wait. To see the rest of Renarin's story. We know that he's going to have a point of view book in the second, second. half. Yeah, exactly. Mm-hmm. So
1: 10 to 15 years from now.
0: <sighs> Man.
1: We'll get a Renarin book. Tell me some more things about Renarin.
0: Yeah. I want to talk about his relationship with Gliss. Okay. Because there's some really interesting descriptions here, I think. Quote, a spren rose from his back, bright red, shimmering like the heat of a mirage, a crystalline structure like a snowflake, though it dripped light upward toward the ceiling, end quote. Then again, quote, Renarin could feel the spren trembling inside him, end quote. And there is another section where he mentions that he can feel, or, uh, feel gliss, inside his heart
1: like a gemstone
0: yeah so there are all these descriptions of his spren like literally existing inside of his body like the parshendi like a gem heart which i just thought was incredibly interesting we haven't seen any other night radiant spren behave like this
1: well venly right venly has a weird another like break that she seems like an odd thing out where she has, she has a two regal uh, void spren. Yeah. And she has one of the light spren. The light spren is able to control or, like, captured somehow the void spren least, in her gem like, heart. But like,
0: somewhat normal because she has a gem heart. We know yeah, that but- every time the Parshendi change form, they are able to house a spren inside of their gem heart. Like, what is Renarin doing?
1: He's gem heart it as well. He
0: has a gem heart? Yeah. There's something,
1: <laughs> because we've also seen this where, like, the Herdaz people, the horn eaters, they're a little yeah. bit mashed up uh-huh. with the, the singers. singers.
0: And then another interesting moment from Gliss. Gliss says, quote, he will not be resisted. My sorrow, Renarin, I will give you my sorrow, end quote. So, like, the opposite of odium sort of odium is like give me your pain and gliss is like i'll give you my pain (laughs) (laughs) i don't know like what that means or how it's related i just thought that was an interesting parallel and then i just also wanted to call out a really touching I mean there are a lot of very touching moments between Yasna and Renarin in the very short amount of time that they're together like I love her description of their relationship as the two people in their family that kind of never belonged
1: mm-hmm.
0: and were always Outsiders. outcasts yeah. yeah and like how much it's breaking her heart to have to kill him but she doesn't and then they are running through the city as it's, you know, falling apart under siege and, quote, Yasna, he called. Yasna, I can't keep up. She stopped at the edge of a rooftop. He reached her and she took his arm. You can keep up, Renarin. You're a knight's radiant. I don't think I'm a radiant, Yasna. I don't know what I am. I know what you are, Yasna said. You're my cousin. Family. Renarin, hold my hand run with me, end quote. And just like that, that aspect of sometimes other people are the ones who see you the
1: most clearly. Yeah, it's got a little Aladdin and Jasmine to it. It's like, (laughs) do you trust me? Hold my hand and run with me.
0: Yeah, but like, you know, we've all been in those places where we may not see ourselves very clearly and, you know, have an outsider does have yeah, like a bad self image or whatever, not really be able to see the things that we are capable of or the good things about ourselves and having that person, um, who can see us more clearly, who, as Kaladin says, will carry the bridge with us. That's what he says to Teft. You know, Teft is like, I don't think I can do this. I don't think I'm a good enough Knight's Radiant, basically exactly like Renarin. And Kaladin's like, yeah, that's why we do it together. Like, mm-hmm. that's why you have other people in your life to help you when you're not as strong. Yeah,
1: you got to bridge forward up.
0: It's just so beautiful.
1: Well, do you want to tell me about everybody's favorite beauty of the Cosmere, the Lopin?
0: Oh, man, the Lopin the lopin he gets such a great little section at the end of this book um and he says a couple well there's a couple of interesting things that happen he is in a like triage tent essentially sitting next to a patient uh you know soldier who had gotten hurt in the battle and one well, an amputee I was going to say, then we see that this soldier that he's chosen, he's chosen for a particular reason Mm -hmm. because he is missing an arm. Yeah. And this man is pretty sad, pretty depressed. You know, he's
1: missing an arm. Lopin goes to hand him something and the guy reaches out with the arm that he doesn't have anymore. And then he pauses and like has to switch. And like that's got to be the thing for an amputee that is most devastating is that first time that you reach out and
0: yeah the first 100 times
1: (laughs) just the times that you forget that you've lost something that is a piece of you and a part of you
0: and the the amputee is talking to lopen and kind of saying like can i can i just become a knight's radiant like i heard that it heals you i can you know i'll join up and then i'll i'll be healed and lopen tells him quote It heals everything except what's in the rock bud at the end of your neck, which is great for me because I'm the only sane one in this group. That might be a problem, end quote. But I love that he highlights the fact that Stormlight will heal everything except for your mind and, like, you are still responsible for your thoughts.
1: And Teft mentions this as well. He said, I still... I'm addicted yeah. to Yeah, he's the like, moss. I still
0: have all the same problems. Yeah. We see, you know, Kaladin obviously still struggles with depression. Mm-hmm. So I just think that is like such an interesting and cool way to show that the physical is not always the most important. You got to focus on what's in your noggin. And then kind of along those lines, Lopin actually swears his third ideal or like, gets his big windrunner, yeah, fancy, dramatic moment while he is in this triage tent. And he's, like, all upset about it. He's like, oh, man, I wanted that to be, you know, in front of a bunch of people. I wanted it to be this great big moment. Why now? Why now while I'm just sitting here, you know, helping this amputee? And I think that this is a moment demonstrating that there are multiple ways to protect as a windrunner, that it's not always about fighting. It's not always about protecting someone with a spear. But in this case, he is protecting someone mentally and emotionally by just sitting with them.
1: Yeah, he's saving this person from who knows how much pain, where he, most likely for his entire life, had to deal, or not his entire life, but since his accident, had to deal with the constant I mean, he's also like short, but like his entire attitude is a personality that has developed to counteract all of the barriers that would have come up. And so just to be in someone's presence and say like, I'm on the other side.
0: But I think this is cool and sort of highlights the variation that we are going to continue to see across the night's radiant both within the orders and like in between all of the different orders and it's a trope right of this kind of story or like a superhero story or whatever that all of the people of the same type are basically exactly the same you know they manifest in the same way etc and i like that this is going more in the direction of some of the knights radiant are going to be on Dalinar's side, and some of them are not, and some of them are going to be, you know, really a part of an organized order, and some of them are just going to be living their lives out in Roshar and like not, you know, a knight radiant, but just a sword binder, yeah, doing their own thing. I imagine
1: Yem as like the best example of that, like the old cobbler yeah. man. Yeah, he's who's just like, like I'm not trying to him. fight any
0: wars. Yeah. I'm just like living my life, doing my thing. And and then like this, like Lopin being able to protect in a slightly different way. I just think that's real cool. All right, over to you.
1: Well, let's talk about one of the big moments. We've mentioned this before, but we believe, I believe, that Shalon gets her fourth ideal and is wearing her armor by the end of the battle of Thalen City.
0: I still, I don't see it. I'm not on board. I was looking for it, but I just I'm not there yet.
1: So this is the quote that is most important. It's when Yasna shows up uh, to help Shalon, and says, quote, Yasna turned toward radiant veil and Shalon." She took Shalon by the arm, but Shalon wavered, then puffed away. Yasna froze, then turned to veil. Here, Radiant said, tired, stumbling to her feet, she was the one Yasna could feel. End quote. So the three of them, Radiant Veil, Shallan, were sending out all the waves and waves of illusions, and at some point during that, Shallan—she started as Shallan, and she brought up Radiant and Veil, and it was very clear, like, Veil's on one side, Radiant's on the other, Shallan's in the middle— and then by the end, the shalon that is the one that is real is radiant. Radiant is capable and was wearing her shard plate during the battle. Like is she, she
0: described as wearing her shard plate in that moment?
1: When in the battle, yes. When she, but summoned, when
0: Yasna touches there's her, there's no
1: mention of what radiant looks like when Yasna is there. Okay, only when. She is summoned the first time. Okay. So we have to kind of like assume that she looks the same or is. But basically, I think that like, this is the subtle, very subtle, because I don't think that they actually have to swear their fourth ideals. I think this is what Kaladin and we talked about Kaladin in the Windsprend. It's like they can do the thing before they actually have control over the thing. Mm. So, yes, when you swear your fourth okay. ideas, that means you can on and off switch your right. shard plate at will, but you could probably always do it. You know, that's kind of very similar to the misborn, um, if you know yeah. breaking and manifesting your powers mm-hmm. in a moment of trial. I think that Shallan and Yasna maybe have not said their fourth ideal, but they have I think the... Yasna has. I think that evidence for each of them is there in the text and it's like both of them neither neither is explicit it's not as clear as day but i think yeah. that both of them it's like hints that it could be either very soon or they already have that ability
0: i feel like Shalon needs to f- like figure yeah, she... more out though before she says her fourth ideal she you is know?
1: definitely still struggling uh she yeah tells like, to Adon, be honest
0: the end of the end worse. of this book, yeah, with Shalon is almost worse. It's like kind of weird and creepy, and I don't really understand it. Like, I'm not sure if we are supposed to see it as a depiction of uh someone with multiple personalities, and that this is a way to like maybe start to understand that condition and like have empathy for those people, or not i just like i don't know what to think about it or how to feel about it
1: i think the kind of beneficial part is that adolin doubles down again she he's basically offered a uh weird foursome with all of them yeah uh and he turns that down and says like i want you shalon definitely you know want some sexy times but i want it with you and not with anyone else or all of you uh, but Shalon, I think, is at least still manifesting the three personalities, but she is not flipping through them as much as she was before. That's like the only positive thing.
0: But in a way, they become even more integrated into her life. Like, she's yeah, I don't having think it's great. full conversations with all of them. Mm hmm. Even, like, Shalon, like, she's thinking of a third-person Shalon rather than, like, just herself.
1: I thought it had solidified just a little bit more than it was previously, where she wasn't as much Shalon as a third-person. It was like Shalon is having a conversation with Vale and Radiant, her imaginary friends. It's not great that Shalon has imaginary friends. But, yeah, then she's
0: like, sometimes Vale just comes out and she and Adeline are just, like, drinking buddies and it's great. Like... Which is confusing, I think, because it's set up sort of like Adolin is going to be the Yasna to her Renarin, mm, you know, yeah. of like, hey, here is a person outside of you that sees who you are when even you can't see, and that maybe that would help her start to integrate or st- help her start to find like the true Shalon that she hasn't really known up until this point because of her traumatic history. You know, even the Shalon in mm. quotes that she thought she was before wasn't really truly her. Like we were talking about the witnesser in the last yes. episode. So it seems like that's the trajectory it's going down. But then it like doesn't go down down that trajectory at all. It's like Adolin sees who you truly are. And then you become three different people.
1: Instead of... Permanently. ...infinite numbers temporarily.
0: Yeah, it just,
1: like... It's not great. No, no, I I,
0: don't... I I don't understand, like, again, how we're supposed to feel about it.
1: This is why I wanted to caveat myself with saying that she may have manifested her armor, but that doesn't mean that she swore the fourth ideal. Yeah. Because I think you're right. I like that interpretation. She still has a ways to go, but I do think that the... Like, for example, Shalon at the end of part five, I think, is better than Shalon at the end of part three at her lowest point. Yeah. And so, like, I'll take any improvement from that because that was real low. <laughs> Pretty and bad, bad. But she's clearly dealing with continuous trauma. Like, she's she's not in a great place when we leave Oathbringer. And I would be bummed out if everything was just great when we picked up with her in Rhythm of War.
0: Definitely. I do really like one moment with Shalon at the end of this book, which it just hit home even mm. more for me it's right on a now. Day. Yeah, in the world that we are living in. Um, <laughs> and it's Shalon's wedding day. And
1: her brothers show up unexpectedly.
0: Yep. Uh, but, you know. Her world has also been completely turned upside down and, like, things are crazy. The ghost bloods are still there, blah, blah, blah. And she realizes, quote, it's okay for me to enjoy this, Shalon said, as if discovering something precious. It's all right to celebrate. Even if things are terrible in the world, it's all right. End quote. And that really hit me because we are getting married in... Today. Well, We're yeah, when this today. podcast comes out, it will be today. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, it's 2020. And so sometimes I do feel this, like, am I allowed to be happy? Am I allowed to celebrate in the middle of all this terribleness at an event that's not really going to be what I wanted it to be, but I'm still happy about it. Um, so anyway, that sentiment just like hit my little 2020 heart.
1: And that's our surprise. If you are listening on <laughs> if launch you're not, day, yeah, following us are, on
0: social media,
1: <laughs> we are getting married on this day, maybe right now while you're listening. <laughs> Do you want to tell me about another one of your favorite things?
0: Yeah. Should we just dive into like the big question? And the like biggest thing that came out of Oathbringer, especially when it first came out, the, the I am unity controversy and theory time question extravaganza.
1: Let's hit it because this was also one of my favorite things as well. When, quote, unaided and defenseless, Dalinar Kholin stepped into the gap in the broken wall and there faced the nightmare alone, end quote
0: clutching his way of kings of course gotta clutch (laughs) it
1: dalinar then has the face off with odium and refuses to give up his pain before reaching his right hand into the cognitive realm his left hand into the spiritual realm and saying i am unity slamming both hands together and combining three realms into one recreating honor's perpendicularity immediately well gives infinite stormlight to our heroes but more importantly causes infinite questions in the cosmos (laughs) about what exactly is this because unity capitalized dalinar is then as you said odium mentions that dalinar ascended
0: yeah later he says that Like, we didn't plan on Dalinar ascending with a capital A. I also find it confusing that in this moment he summons Honor's perpendicularity because there are a few uh, comments in the earlier parts of this book that definitely made me think that the High Storm was Honor's perpendicularity. Like, Azure mentions that the other perpendicularity is always moving and really unpredictable and stuff. And there's I think just, it is. There was, well, but if it's the high storm, then, but that that's like a different thing than what Dalinar is summoning Certainly. in that moment.
1: But it's not a different thing, in that it is a bridge between the physical realm, the cognitive realm, and the spiritual realm. That's also what the high storm is. We know this because the high storm rejuvenates the mm-hmm. gems with stormlight directly from the spiritual realm.
0: Yeah, I guess I just don't understand like how those are connected or like are there two? No. Honors perpendicularities for a moment or I like, see like does the perpendicularity not exist when a high storm is not actively happening and then Dalinar like manifests it when yes. it wouldn't normally be there?
1: Yes, because the Stormfather is the spren of the high storms. Yes. And And also... That's the important part.
0: A sliver of honor. Honor.
1: And that's, to me, the important part, is that he is now in a new role holding honor's cognitive shadow and is also kind of cognitively able to open up the spiritual realm to Mm. refuse refuel the gems Mm -hmm. so i just kind of think it as the high storms are the honor's perpendicularity that can exist until there is dalinar and dalinar is able to take that power Mm. that's still out there channel it all into one place yeah 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 and then it becomes the new permanent perpendicularity
0: okay that makes sense to me because there were a couple other things so they talk about the Everstorm and the Everstorm seems to be more uh directed than the high storm is like it specifically targets Thalen City when it first comes and like destroys Thalen City way more than any other city. Yeah, it's kind of at will. Yeah, it's able to, you know, come when called basically. And the Stormfather mentions that the high storms used to be different. Mm-hmm. Um Until Honor died. And so I was thinking about it as like now they're kind of on autopilot because there's no one to control them. So that's kind of going on autopilot until Dalinar directs it. So, okay, cool. I'm on board.
1: I do think that the question about Odium A being fearful, like clearly like backing away from Dalinar in this moment. And
0: saying, we killed you. We killed you.
1: And so we don't know who the we is. And we don't know who the you is in yeah. that sentence.
0: And we don't know what killed means. Like, we don't understand anything about that sentence.
1: <laughs> so I think that the <laughs> most basic breakdown that I'm comfortable with at this point is if we start with killed, who was killed? Tanavast, honor, right? So I just go with the forces of Odium, we, killed, you, honor, And that is why Odium is so afraid is because what he is seeing is honor's cognitive shadow and the power of the shard of honor reforming around Dalinar.
0: Well, I can kind of refute that because I have a word of Brandon. Someone asked him, is Dalinar a shard, vessel, sliver, something else and brandon said Rafa, let's just say he's not honor currently but of course you knew that
1: mm-hmm. yeah i mean i don't think he's honor um because i don't know if honor can exist again
0: yeah like is odium just reacting to honor's perpendicularity and there's kind the like- shadow didn't think that the perpendicularity could exist anymore because honor is gone
1: no i think this is really important we need to go to the quote from the storm father this is after the battle or maybe like during the battle but after the summoning of the perpendicularity the Stormfather says quote we are connected i was bonded to men before this never happened then honor was alive then we are something different his remnants your soul my will in quote. Sorry, and that was jumping back and forth between Dalinar talking and the Stormfather talking. But basically, the concept that Honor's remnants, the soul of the Stormfather, and Dalinar's will are now the new thing. The new thing, unity, whatever we want to call it. But, like, Odium doesn't know necessarily that there's a new thing. Odium just sees the power and, like, maybe can feel the cognitive shadow of Honor. And so he freaks out thinking that Honor's back. But I don't think Honor's mm. back. Like,
0: Yeah, I do think that there is an element of, like, relativity here. Like, just because Odium is saying, we killed you, or, like, Dalinar ascended, doesn't mean that he's right. Correct. And I, I think don't think that, he is. Yeah, I think that's, like a common mistake that just
1: believe the most people yeah people. that people
0: in the fandom like are making when we're theorizing and stuff about this is that we're thinking well if odium says it like he's a shard so yes that know. must be correct yeah um, but no
1: th- we should always know like nobody's correct
0: yes never take any knowledge for granted in the cosmere
1: <laughs> so i think basically what happened in this i am unity m- moment is that Dalinar, because of his bondsmith powers and potential, was able to touch and combine a bunch of different kind of separate things. Odium became confused because he had never seen that happen before, and so he just said, "Oh, Dalinar kind of ascended and held or kind of wields the power of honor, but I do think that it is different in any respect that has ever existed on Rashar. So I, I don't think that Dalinar is just like going to become a new shard holding Honor's old power that will now be called unity, which is one of the prevailing theories.
0: Yeah, I don't I yeah, I don't think he is a vessel now.
1: Or I don't even think he will become a vessel. He may be a sliver, like uh, technicality yeah. of a sliver that he held the power and let it go. Yeah, and he I would might be, be able to do that. that at will. But because he can recharge a, Stormlight now at will.
0: I also have a word of Brandon about Dalinar being a sliver. And another fan pointed out that uh, after Dalinar takes the power, he doesn't really seem to have any additional powers like we see with vin or someone who becomes a sliver they're not confused and then like is is different after that like dalinar does not seem to be like that at all he's basically his same old self so that's the argument against him being a sliver even though i feel like that would be the most accurate thing to call him now because i don't think he's a vessel but Let's uh, let's read this other word of Brandon about his ascension and specifically the investiture sphere situation. Questioner asked, Dalinar ascends, right? Like, right then and there.
1: Brandon, I have raffoed that. Whether he is ascending or not is a raffo.
0: Okay, because I know he kind of mentions from that I don't know how to say his name, but the older guy who has the diagram.
1: Taravangian. Yeah. Whether that deserves to be a capital A or not is a matter of argument. It can be disputed.
0: I guess my main question would just be Dalinar is now able to pull Stormlight and give it to people now.
1: He definitely can. That is a Bondsmith power. So
0: that's a Bondsmith power. Okay.
1: That is a specific Bondsmith power.
0: Because my roommate was saying, well, the Stormfather was surprised that he could do that. Or was the Stormfather
1: surprised that he was able to bridge? He was surprised by what was happening to Dalinar as a whole.
0: Okay, that's what I thought, because it was like, the Stormlight, that power would be a Bondsmith power.
1: Let's say that the Stormfather and Odium were seeing something in Dalinar that perhaps the average person watching, even who is knowledgeable about surges, would not completely understand but he will be able to use that power and Bondsmiths in the past have used that same power. End quote. So this really, I think, kind of clarifies the general questions and leaves up, annoyingly, the kind of bigger questions. Uh, but yes, I totally didn't see the Dalinar being able to recharge Stormlight as an indicator that he was now the vessel or a vessel holding a new shard what makes sense to me is that the bondsmith capability and because of the connection that we've already seen in form of his uh, ability to understand languages just by touching people i believe that that capital c connection in the cosmere is like the bondsmith's strength and his ability to recharge stormlight makes sense to me as just like I'm moving a little bit of energy from the spiritual realm into the physical realm.
0: Yeah, like facilitating the connection between the realms. Yes. Mm
1: -hmm. Um, A bridge or like the troll that guards the bridge. I don't know how (laughs) you want to look at Dalinar, but like...
0: Definitely as a troll. Yeah,
1: I see Dalinar kind of as like, oh, this is gonna make you smile but for some of the people who haven't seen the good place uh there is an individual who guards all the doors the frogman oh my gosh he's frogman
0: the doorman he is
1: frogman the doorman (laughs) (laughs) and because that's kind of what i see him he has this ability to open the door honors perpendicularity into the spiritual and cognitive realms and he can open and close that door at will
0: love that but
1: is not necessarily the most powerful entity like a shard
0: he's just sitting there loving frogs yeah (laughs) i will always see dalinar as the frog Frog man man. now (laughs) perfect okay last little theory bit on this Unity tangent. I know we haven't like answered a lot of questions about the unity business, but I don't think we can answer them. But a theory that I came across that I actually really like is the theory that Dalinar is the unity of the three shards on Rashar honor, cultivation, and odium. Because he has been touched by all of them exactly, in very specific ways. yes, because he is. Obviously connected to honor through the storm father. He has been pruned by cultivation. And there are some very interesting quotes from cultivation that I can bring in as well to support that. And obviously, he has been touched by Odium throughout his entire life, as Odium has been preparing him Grooming to become him. his champion. Yeah. So I thought that was a very interesting theory, and someone kind of asked Brandon about this and asked, when Dalinar became Unity, how much investiture of cultivation did he have?
1: And Brandon answers, so Raffo, 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 he called himself Unity. I'm not going to say what that necessarily means, end quote.
0: So take from that what you will but it seems like that cultivation piece at least plays a part perhaps
1: oh i mean it plays a huge part i think that the concept of a unity between the three shards is great it would also have maybe a similarity to what we saw in scadriel where the powers are recombining maybe like Not through the force of any one person's will, but, like, the force of the shards, they want to be back together. And so, like, preservation and ruin become harmony held by Zay's honor, cultivation, and odium all fighting right now, all in the midst of things. But maybe they could reconvene as one thing. Yeah, maybe that's, like, Dalinar's
0: destiny is to unite those three. (gasps) unite them.
1: Exactly. Oh
0: my gosh, I'm so excited.
1: That's where I'd kind of like to leave this question of unity because it is still like the big question. For sure. We had to at least introduce and talk about the concept because this is maybe one of the big questions coming out of Oathbringer. What does I am capital unity mean? Yeah,
0: I would say this is just like the biggest topic of conversation and theorizing and speculation since Oathbringer came out. And the first time I read it, Again, I read it so quickly. I was like, I don't feel prepared to take on this this discussion. So I wanted to swing back to it. Okay, what do you got for me?
1: Well, let's go to some of the heralds, because we see a lot of heralds clearly named, not hidden.
0: Yeah, interesting stuff.
1: We have a herald die at the hand of Moash.
0: That still hurts, honestly it's rough it hurts my heart
1: and it for me gives me a new theory about the greater cosmere and kind of connects to something that i was saying last week about the unmade but we have ash who is shalash the and she is going to save or rescue tom
0: tons of interesting stuff with shalash's point of view sections just like describing her madness from her own point of view and the things that are driving her it's really fascinating
1: when she sees tom she says this quote ash looked at his fingers thick and calloused thousands of years could come and pass and she could lose lifetimes to the dream but those hands she'd never forget those hands end quote
0: Such a touching moment. And I thought this was interesting, too, because her iconography or... Moniker? Yeah, in some other cultures, not Alethi cultures, she's called the Lady of Dreams.
1: And she says she lost lifetimes to the dream. And so I kind of wonder if she means the torture on Bray's as the dream and she's like kind of crafted this coping mechanism of
0: wouldn't she call it like a nightmare or something though
1: yeah i mean but like a nightmare is a dream in my mind Mm. dreams aren't positive dreams are just dreams they're the (laughs) things that happen at nighttime or whenever you happen to be dreaming but but either her time on rashar is a dream or her time Mm. on Braze is a dream but like she might be dealing with some type of coping mechanism where the dream is the experience that she like doesn't want to have or does want to have depending on if it's a good or bad dream just yeah
0: i mean i think that there is some connection here between her and shalon as a light weaver and like the patron of the light weavers she shalash expresses frustration with the way that the heralds are portrayed in human cultures as deities and she's basically like look i i'm just a human like i don't deserve to be Worshipped, stop with all the iconography. But it does make me wonder if the iconography is coming from true traits of the heralds as they were, you know, 5,000 years ago or whatever, Mm. when they really were just regular humans. You know, maybe she was an artist of some kind, and then her fascination with like scratching out her face, losing. Time to the dream it makes me think of Shalon when she just loses time, yeah, blanks out. I don't know, just interesting stuff.
1: So, last week I talked about the unmade as being like broken copies of the heralds themselves, and I think we also discussed quite a bit the splintering that Odium did to create the unmade and that he had splintered himself. I think that the death of Yezrian and the way that it's experienced by both Ash and Taln give us a hint that there was probably some splintering going on there as well. So when Moash kills Yezrian, A, he does it with a sword that is very weird. We'll talk about the the dagger slash sword in just a moment. But from Ash's perspective... She says this, quote, It wasn't pain. It was something far, far worse. A loss, a hole inside of her, a piece of her soul being excised, end quote. Now, if we think of the splinter of honor as a bit of honor's soul that is then given or bonded to the heralds, to, like, give them their superpowers, their long life, and to tie them together.
0: Yeah, I mean, we know that there is some kind of connection between them. Exactly. Because that's how they're able to, quote, share the pain or whatever that yes. they experience and braise.
1: And when one of them fails, it makes all of them fail. Yeah. And it's not like a They are, effect. yeah,
0: tied together in some way. So my
1: concept They're is... a chain
0: gang. <laughs> They're Honor's chain gang.
1: That's my concept, basically, is that Honor splintered himself to create the Heralds. And the Heralds all have this tiny splinter of Honor tying them together. And so when Yesrian dies, the thing that shalash and tong are feeling and experiencing is the ripping away of the peace of honor the soul that is within them as well and that does explain as you said the kind of general ties between them and the way that the oath pact would have worked i think it is i think i thought this
0: was interesting too because ash says something like what did they do to his soul Or they did something to his soul or something like that. And I realized that they have to use this crazy weapon that, like, sucks his soul out of his body or something. Because if they had just killed Yezrian normally, he would have just gone back to Braze and then reincarnated. Because that's what the Heralds do. That's, like, they're programmed in this really terrible video game to just, like, go back to the beginning
1: So the description of the knife that the Fuse give to Moash to kill Yezrian is as follows, It was a strange knife with a sapphire set into the pommel. The weapon was of a bright golden metal, so light it was almost white. Now, weird metals immediately make me think of Scatriel.
0: Weird metals, but also... Wait, do you know if that quote is from before he kills Yezrian or after he kills Yezrian?
1: It's before.
0: Okay. Has a sapphire. Yes. I am like really paying attention to To every time a specific type of gemstone is mentioned. And then what they do. Yes.
1: Because in the Ars Arcanum, there's a description of what Different gemstones do.
0: Yeah, I think that that is important and something to pay attention to. So then that makes me wonder if he has this knife with a sapphire that is killing Yezrian, who is the patron of the Windrunners who are associated with sapphires, are there nine more of these crazy daggers? One for each of the heralds?
1: Yes, and I could imagine they being. This is my really dark philosophy, but like if honor was losing his mind a little bit because he had seen the betrayal of the heralds he lived through that experience true so then if he started to craft weapons that could kill the heralds by re basically taking back the thing he gave them
0: but wouldn't you think honor could do that on his own without a weapon you know
1: maybe but also maybe not Because you never know what the rules of the shards are. Yeah. I guess so. They, like a human, you know, you have to be done by an all powerful
0: being needs a knife. Itty bitty living
1: space. (laughs) Exactly. Just like that.
0: (laughs) Now I really want someone to just rub the sapphire on the knife and have Yesrian's soul, like, come out of it like a genie. I've been trapped inside of this gemstone for a thousand years.
1: My question is is it like a lamp where he's being or like the thrill we see with that ruby that Dalinar captures the thrill is that what has happened to Yazrian's soul or is it Yazrian's dead and the thing that was extracted is honor's power Right. that's kind of my question I do
0: think that that is the question and I do think there's a difference between the people that the heralds were before they became heralds and like who they are now but like what is the percentage of that? You know, does Yezrian's soul still exist, or is it only the honor bit piece of him or like whatever it is that makes him a herald? Who knows? Yeah. Can you stab someone with that knife and, and like I
1: give them the power? Yeah, and that's make why, them a herald. So that's why question about a bright golden medal so light it was almost white. The thing that I wanted to check in on was to go over to Scadrial and see if there were any gold medals or light gold medals that then we could tie into hemorrhagy somehow where like, right. if you stab someone with a hemallergic spike, well, did they just create a hemallergic spike that also has Honor's splinter on the back in the pommel?
0: Right, right, right. Yeah. And yeah, so that's totally.
1: my fear is that that's like what has been created is a hemallergic spice that can also give you a bit of honor's power. I don't know and I don't there's nothing in the Arzarkam of Skadrill that has a description that is similar to uh, a yeah. golden metal that I is also, so like almost white. So, I
0: also tried to think of a metal that might look like that, but I couldn't think of anything. So listeners, if you know what metal that might be, holla at us.
1: A lot of these are questions, of course, that don't have answers because this is the end of the book. So there's no more information <laughs> that we can give you, um, and it's really just the questions that exist out there, leading into Rhythm of War. But I think one of the great tiny mysteries that maybe not that will maybe not stay tiny for very long is the cheery cheery of it all. Cheery
0: cheery. So this comes from
1: Risen's Interlude, immediately preceding Part five.
0: We will soon hear much more about Risen in
1: wanderson Her
0: very own novella, which is not called Wander anymore. It's called Dawn Shard,
1: but And it's 75% Risen, 25% the Lopen, the Lopen. As Brandon has confirmed recently. That will be coming out as an ebook this year maybe as soon as October before the release of Rhythm of War.
0: I would really love if I could read it before Rhythm of War comes out, because that is the place that it is meant to occupy in between Oathbringer and Rhythm of War.
1: Brandon did say on his most recent live stream, though, that he did write Dawnshard specifically so that it can be read before Rhythm of War or after Rhythm of War, and it won't ruin either of the stories. So it is unlike Edge Dancer in that way, where you really do have to read I mean, Edge Dancer. You
0: don't have to, but it certainly helps.
1: Yeah. But he said it's even more different than Edge Dancer. And so that's something to keep in mind that even if you don't get Dawn Shard before Rhythm of War should work out totally fine. We don't mean to add more books that you need to read before you can read Rhythm of War.
0: However, cheery cheery, I have some questions and some speculations about little Cheery Cheery. Cheery Cherry is the larkin that Risen was given by the island when she falls off its head and sadly paralyzes both of her legs. Yeah. the lion turtle
1: is what I imagine the yeah. island as. I don't know if it actually is. No, but,
0: it's just a great shell.
1: Yeah, it's basically a lion turtle, guys. From okay. Avatar, so it's great. The Description of the larkin is the size of a large Kremlin, has a snout, carapace, and kind of ha- has a vibe or a similarity more to an axe hound than something like a choll.
0: Yeah, and so when you kind of like put those images together in your mind, like Shalon's drawing of axe hounds, plus you know carapace. It's described as having the quote build of a creature far more grand end quote with wings. It kind of makes you think of a dragon. It
1: definitely makes me think of a dragon. Right? Like it's a just like baby dragon. a
0: super tiny dragon. Like at the time, it sort of like fits in your hand. But then, Cheery Cheery, throughout this uh, interlude, is eating investiture. First, she's eating Stormlight, obviously, because that's what she has the most access to. But later, she eats Voidlight, Light. basically indiscriminately. So she just feeds on Investiture, and after she eats a whole bunch of it, Risen notices that Cherry Cherry is significantly bigger than she was before, just like instantly grows.
1: And so, like, what is Cherry Cherry? What will Cherry Cherry become? And is Risen paralyzed? but going to ride on the back of a dragon. That's what I want to happen. I want Risen to ride into battle on Chiri Chiri. And she is just like the Gandalf coming down with all of the horses at the end of the two towers.
0: I was going to say she would be like Khaleesi.
1: (laughs) Obviously, that works out better because Khaleesi actually had a dragon. uh, Well, three. But uh, I obviously have a hankering for some Lord of the Rings.
0: Another interesting thing about Resin's interlude is the King's Drop, which, as you mentioned just a bit ago, is that big ruby that's used to trap the thrill. Uh, I started tracking these specific gems and the specific unmade that they are able to entrap, because I think that is going to Tell us something or, like, give us some info kind of on your theory of unmade herald parallels. Um, But this gigantic ruby has been glowing for at least 200 years. Something about its makeup allows it to hold investiture much longer than most stones.
1: And they think it's because the actual, like, physical structure of the crystal lattice They say it's the lack of flaws and imperfections. I don't know if that's accurate, but that is their philosophy right now in the king's draw.
0: And then there is also mention of another legend, like deep legend of Rashar. Risen's mentor says, quote, they say it's a chunk of
1: the stone of 10 dawns, end quote. So dawn shard, a shard from the dawn i from the 10 dawns i don't know i'm just thinking that risen's inter or excuse me risen's novella could be her hunting on at the behest of dalinar who like knows what the king's drop can do he's like go hunt these other yeah stones of the the ten dawns. yeah the dawn shards oh man
0: i'm so fascinated and then the other thing that i thought was cool about her interlude is that we see another example of the powers that the fused have and they seem to have parallel powers to surge binders right we see a bunch of them flying that's like the most common one that we see they're a little bit like wind runners but fused and then with risen we see one that is a light weaver Mm -hmm. I'm gonna call them void weavers I guess
1: yeah just everything becomes (laughs) void
0: yeah (laughs) and they are able to create illusions and then later on in the battle lift faces a void dancer
1: yep keep it rolling
0: <laughs> their version of an ed dancer who's all like slippy slidey and then i uh i found some cool like words of brandon and stuff too about the way that these powers interact and this is obviously going to be somewhere along the spectrum of and positive and negative and neutral Investiture systems, but we haven't seen really clearly how that is going to break out yet on Rashar. From Brandon, the void runners are basically like uh long-distance runners. They accelerate slower, but they can uh they have more staying power, they can go longer. And Windrunners are sprinters. They can accelerate very quickly and manipulate their surges. Like, they can lash themselves multiple times to go faster, which the Fused can't, cannot do. But they will expend their energy quicker doing that.
1: And notably, the Fused do not leak Stormlight in the way that all of our heroes, including all of the Orders, do. Uh, that for some reason, Voidlight doesn't leak out maybe because it's being held in their gem heart which is like better at oh, holding. like i don't maybe know, but
0: well it also makes me wonder if odium is the human's original god like are those the original surge powers
1: they could be the surges that destroyed ashen in the first place well
0: yeah probably
1: especially if you imagine that this difference between like now, the wind runners are sprinters and the fuse are long distance. So, like, those are very different skills. Like, you don't put yeah. your long distance runner in a sprinting competition and vice versa. Yeah. And so, like, maybe there is, we'll be introduced to a destructive power with our surge binders. But then, when you take that and apply it to the void spren and the void powers, it could become much more significant mm. and apparent how they destroyed their world like maybe the Deathbringer equivalent in the void bringer world is oh like gosh. is like you know it, it can't be as destructive all at once but it, if you like set us down on a stone it'll just like burn through the entire planet
0: yeah like, well i think especially right because surge binders we know are limited by their oaths they have Mm. a spren who is like holding them accountable and the void light isn't necessarily right it's just being given to them like indiscriminately
1: we'll talk about that when we get to the ars arcanum and our cosmere connections because i have some more thoughts about okay the potential of possible lights
0: i just want to highlight one other thing here a word of brandon that said that the void runners accelerate slower than the wind runners Because they are expending less energy, quote, they can only afford to spend a little bit of energy. So that's the way to say it, end quote. So again, that kind of plays into this idea of like, is it, is that maybe the end negative where like they literally can't expend as much for some reason? Ooh,
1: Actually, this is helpful too. Okay. So we have, we've talked before uh, when it comes to the Skadrian powers about in positive, in neutral, in negative. And those are metallurgy, furukami, and those are alamancy, furukami, and Hemallurgy, the metallic arts. We don't have that at this point on Rashar, but something that Chris says that I'll mention in a little bit, I just want us to keep this in mind. We have two right now. We have right Surge it's pretty easy binding. to
0: see what we would suspect to be positive negative. negative yeah but like that middle is a complete question mark right now
1: and it's a question mark that our Cosmere scholar Chris has as well on that note how about we talk about Nightwatcher cultivation and Dalinar's visit
0: yas I am not sure how much we talked about this in our first series, but there were a few things that really stood out to me during this reread that I would just like to quickly hit upon. One is that the Night Watcher says to him, quote, what boon drives you, son of honor, son of odium, end quote. And like, how is that supposed to be said? Like, is she questioning herself, son of honor? son of odium
1: no she's asking a question to both a son of honor and a son of odium in my mind that's yeah. how yeah
0: anyway i thought that was super interesting that she identifies him as both and i know that's this, the mystery like, right there foreshadowing yes of the
1: the big reveal yeah the
0: quandary that he's gonna face at the end um <laughs> and then she well he is asking for a bunch of esoteric things of course because that's always what we really want not material things, and the Night Watcher is like, mm, you can't do that. But like, do you want riches? Do you want women? Do you want maybe a blade that bleeds darkness and cannot be defeated?
1: Which definitely seems to be Nightblood.
0: Yeah, I mean, what else could it be?
1: And I mentioned this last episode. It seems at some point that Cultivation slash the Night Watcher was holding and in possession of, or could at least somehow give it to dalinar if he had asked for it um so i'm wondering yeah. if like did nail go to the night and ask for a blade that bleeds darkness and cannot be defeated
0: yeah this whole section like it makes me question the exact timeline of events mm-hmm. of a bunch of different things Yeah. so this is supposed to be five and a half years ago which for some reason i expected it to be a lot further into the past and then when cultivation appears she says quote this is the first time in centuries i've come personally to speak with one of you end quote which like for some reason i was thinking lyft had seen cultivation before dalinar had gone but maybe that doesn't make sense since she's only 13 or whatever well
1: she's 13 physically but 10 in her mind so she went to the night watcher three years ago
0: oh you think
1: i believe that's no doesn't me. she
0: think she's nine okay because she's like you can't use like all 10 fingers, fingers or yeah something exactly like she's
1: she's an unmade uh only nine of <laughs> yeah 10. but okay so if she's nine then it's four years ago and if she thinks she's 10 then yeah she is like
0: that's a good point that's a good point she definitely so. doesn't
1: go above the number on her two hands so like <laughs> that's for sure she is um,
0: yeah, at max 10 <laughs> so i
1: th- i think that dalinar would have been first and then very quickly cultivation was maybe like okay now's the time for me to be moving my chest pieces around yeah and so then she goes to see when lift yeah comes, maybe she
0: lift is like the backup you yeah, know dalinar is she's the main plan. Like, not sure which way dalinar is gonna go like i kind of set him up but if that doesn't work lift, lift. exactly <laughs>
1: And I think there's big questions, too, because you have to get in. Where did terravangian enter into oh, this? Oh, yeah. Because you have to think that Terravangian did go a long time ago and yeah, did. Yeah, I
0: definitely thought so, but apparently not more than five and a half years
1: ago. I could at least imagine that terravangian wasn't. Visited by Cultivation, but the he Cultivation... He really
0: did see the Night Watcher, you think.
1: And it's a legit boon, but mm. it's Cultivation, like, sitting in the background being like, I know what this boon will do, but, like, she actually visited Dalinar right. and Lyft. Okay. That's my theory.
0: Yeah, I like that. Oh, and then another sort of part of this that ties in with my earlier theory about the connection between the Unmade <laughs> and Nightblood is that... Cultivation says of the Night Watcher that she lets the Night Watcher do what she does, sort of like holding court in the valley and interacting with humans. She lets her do that because, quote, it helps her understand you, end quote.
1: And I think that's important because we've seen with Syl and all the different Spren, including the the Stormfather, that the understanding of humans and their affairs makes them better. Gives yeah. them uh, like a better grasp of the reality.
0: Well, and especially Syl expresses that they like that bond. They mm-hmm. like the connection that they get there because it makes them like more conscious. Yes.
1: So cultivation kind of trying to make the Night Watcher more conscious and like into a better spren without bonding any particular human.
0: Yeah. And I wonder if maybe... Are spren like this more dangerous when they don't have essentially empathy, you know, mm-hmm. for humans? And so this is her like trying to develop the Night Watcher, you know, like how toddlers are yeah. a little bit like psychopaths because they don't really understand understand the people around them and like
1: Certainly. There's like a there's an age. I don't know what we call toddlers anymore, but there's definitely like an age where a child has the ability to sense and understand way more than they should but then also not be able to they like imagine. can't process it well they can't process like what their actions will do to another person's emotions oh. and so they are just like acting out basically and i feel like this is around like 5 to 7 but parents can correct me i think it's Um, younger than that no because i think that a little bit younger there's like a very sweetness to everything but then eventually it becomes like kind of vindictive and that's the Mm. psychotic phase um (laughs) is just like when they are basically testing out all the limits of things because they don't like if they like
0: how much power do i have exactly
1: and they are able to recognize that they have power but then not how to wield that power that's a dangerous phase
0: (laughs) that's basically what the unmade and like the big spread are
1: yeah and that's as i said a dangerous phase
0: there is also a really interesting exchange surrounding the religion on rashar and honor and cultivation says quote why have you come here human Do you not serve honor, the one you call almighty? Look unto him for forgiveness.
1: I asked the ardents, Dalinar said. I didn't get what I wanted.
0: You got what you deserved. The truth you have crafted for yourselves. End
1: quote. That, to me, very much seems like religion. The truth you have crafted for yourselves.
0: Yeah, and like, is she jealous or like upset that they only worship honor?
1: Well- I Maybe, because I I certainly, of the two, cultivation definitely seems to be the more passive one, and honor the more...
0: But she does get, she is like venerated in the more mm -hmm. Western cultures.
1: Absolutely, and honor is more followed in the Eastern cultures. But I do think that this line about like, you got what you deserve, the truth you crafted for yourself, like yeah you weren't like when you looking for reality set
0: yourself up yeah with sort of a false system of beliefs then yeah you're not gonna get the reality that you crave
1: 100 percent and it certainly does put some more question marks on what we brought up last week about the religions of Rashar and how they will all come crashing together definitely maybe falling down in the next couple of books uh because yeah i'm
0: interested to hear more about the trajectory of religion on Rashar and like how exactly did they get to the hierarchy how did voranism come about in the first place like what was the path of this belief system
1: and for more details on the religion's in the Cosmere. We did two volumes right before we started the reread. So that's back a couple of months now, but check that in our history if you have more questions.
0: All right. I think that pretty much wraps us up. So let's get into Cosmere Connections. I know you said you had some stuff from Chris in the Arcanum.
1: Yes. So our Cosmere scholar, Chris, mentions this in the Ars Arcanum, quote, my research suggests that indeed there should be another series of abilities that is even more esoteric than void bindings. Perhaps the old magic fits into those, though I am beginning to suspect that it is something entirely different, End quote. So back to what I was saying earlier about the in positive, in negative, in neutral powers, if the trend we see on Skadriel holds then right now we only have two and we need three.
0: I think that there's actually four, though.
1: And it could make sense that there's even more. Like, I'm not opposed to... I have lots of theories about this, but basically, I think that the spren manifest with the surges that we're familiar with with our heroes. The void spren allow for the void binding which we're just becoming introduced to. And then the Esoteric powers, as Chris calls them. Now, those to me, we have void bindings belonging to Odium, the Spren surges belonging to Honor,
0: but they don't just belong to Honor. They belong to both. It's yeah. like a merging. Yeah,
1: I think there's another merging that is like cultivations powers, and my theory but, is that the old but that's magic. that's where I
0: get stuck because. Surge binding already is partly cultivation.
1: Partly, but not mainly. Like all the oaths are to honor, not to cultivation.
0: That's not true.
1: The life before death, strength before weakness, journey before destination is not to honor? Correct. Okay. I think that the old magic is. Previously, we have combined the old magic and the Night Watcher as like all belonging to cultivation or existing under cultivation's umbrella. I think what Chris is suggesting here is that the old magic exists outside of the three shards and that each of the three shards should have their own series of abilities.
0: Yeah, like the old magic is either something that existed on Rishar prior to To these shards shards, or came with the humans maybe from Ashen, like it's originally from Ashen.
1: That would destroy my void binding theory as the power that destroyed Ashen, but i agree it could be something that came i feel like the brief descriptions of the old magic are too intertwined with the night watcher at this point and we need like more detail but i'm thinking just like the magic of Rashar is pretty dang magical without the shards involved there's just a lot of crazy stuff going on but i wanted to definitely bring that mention up from chris and kind of introduce this concept that there is a again the esoteric power or esoteric series of abilities exists out there that is not surge binding void binding or the old magic
0: yeah i think that there is a power of honor a power of cultivation a power of odium and a power of cultivation and honor combined and so you I think, think that is surge binding? Yes, I think so far we have seen the combined power and odium's power, but we don't actually know what cultivation or honor's power are. I could see that. And as further backup to my four things theory, that's its official name now because, yeah. <laughs> when we were talking in the last episode about the big spren that exists or like splinters that exist yes you have the storm father the night watcher the unmade and then the sibling i think the sibling is the combined cultivation honor spren
1: wouldn't that then say that the power that we don't know no it just means
0: there are bits and pieces of everything and we don't have all of any one thing
1: we certainly don't have all of one thing or all of everything because we just throwing out so many questions and the speculation yeah. chris also discusses fabrials and this to me is the big thing of importance in the greater cosmere and is what everyone should be taking out from all the cosmere books going forward for sure she is discussing fabrials and specifically the soul casters I don't mean Yasna. Jasnah is an elsecaller. I mean the actual soulcaster. The device. Yes, the machine that oh changes God. people.
0: And we did not even talk about the entire interlude about the soulcaster, which is a huge oversight, but there is too much in this book.
1: Chris says, quote, This is yet another mechanical imitation of something once available only to a select few within the bounds of an invested art. The Honor Blades on Rashar indeed, may be the very first example of this from thousands of years ago. I believe this has a relevance to the discoveries being made on Scadriel and the commoditization of Alamancy and Ferrucami. couple of huge things in there. A. Soulcasters, Fabrials generally, as we have said can be applied to, like, the greater Cosmere. I think that's fairly... Acceptable. Definitely. Any imitation of powers once available only to a select few, that's a Fabriel. Honor Blades, as an example of a Fabriel.
0: That is interesting. I can't remember if the Honor Blades are described as having gemstones in them.
1: The Shard Blades do. The Honor Blades and the Spren Blades... I believe do not.
0: I know for sure spren blades do not. The honor blades were crafted directly from honor by splintering his own investiture and then he crystallized his investiture into metal. So there isn't any gemstone because there's no need to capture a spren or anything like that.
1: So those honor blades as maybe being examples of early Fabrials, Fabrials created by Honor, because he is trying to imitate something else, if we're to believe Chris's words exactly.
0: Yeah, I don't, I'm keeping my eye on like, how all of, yeah, how all of those things fit together. I will also mention that when I was researching for this episode, I came across a word of Brandon indicating that in the final battle when Dalinar's uh, little clock.
1: Pain reel. Pain reel,
0: yeah, that Navani has made him. It breaks and it falls off of his arm. And that is like the moment when he's able to, quote unquote, ascend. Brandon said that that moment is not insignificant. The fact that his Fabriel fell off. So take from that what you will. Interesting. Yeah.
1: Finally, from Chris and this thought on Fabriel, she compares it directly to the discoveries being made on Skadriel and the commoditization of Alamancy and Furukami. We've talked a bunch about this, but basically the idea that the more generalized the powers on Skadriel become, the more possibilities and potential exists for any given planet or group of people. Most clearly in the Wax and Wayne series, we saw this with the Inventor who Wayne is, like, now funding with all of his money and stuff, he is basically allowing a normie scientist to gain access, through both funding and his connections to Wax, to all of these kind of furukami or alimantic powers, and then study them, create machines that can harness or use their abilities. So we know that Things like flight are possible by harnessing the Allomancy and Furukami. What does that mean when you combine it with industrialization? Lots of craziness. Probably a couple of world wars, but that's all what Skadril has in its future.
0: I also have to talk about Felt, our world hopper, because we have been mentioning him throughout our reread. He is a known world hopper, however, he never really seems like a world hopper. I think in a previous episode I mentioned that the only reason I know he's a world hopper is because Brandon has literally said it, but he doesn't have a lot of the typical indicators that mark him as someone out of place until now. Mm -hmm. In the final flashback of Dalinar's uh, Felt is with him as he travels to the Valley of the Night Watcher.
1: Felt's like his guide. He's the one who has been there before.
0: Yeah. And uh, first he is described, quote, Felt stood outside, a lithe man wearing long drooping mustaches and pale skin. Had to have some shin blood in him, judging by those eyes. End quote. Indication that he looks foreign, basically, because like most of us, we don't always do a great job of like really specifically being able to pinpoint people's ethnicities with our eyes. You know, you might look at someone and be like, ah, they're Asian from the whole continent without being able to like pinpoint it. And the Alephi kind of do the same thing. They're like, anyone who looks kind of weird is just like, I guess they're Shin. Yeah, Yeah, because that's like all I know.
1: Or to be More clear, that's the thing they don't know. That's the thing they have the least exposure to. And so the thing- Just like
0: lump them all into the don't know category. Exactly. And then more specifically, again, Felt has been here previously. Dalinar asks, quote, any idea why she didn't visit you?
1: Well, best I could figure, she doesn't like foreigners.
0: Mm, I might have trouble
1: too. You're a little less foreign, sir. End quote.
0: Indicating that he is indeed from off-world.
1: At least a little bit of a hint. I think combined with all the other things regarding Felt, how he keeps appearing, that maybe this is his, not his beginning as a world hopper, but he's certainly not our most experienced world hopper.
0: I think he's been world hopping for a while.
1: Keep an eye out, Felt. Anyone, anywhere, especially stories that happen at a different period of time see if you can he's in Mistborn for sure yeah 100 percent. but as you said he kind of never seems like he's doing much of anything purposeful like other world hoppers who are like hunting Hoyt or part of the 17 shard or chris so it's just kind of like he's there but he's being kind of normal and so i wonder if maybe he's got like a Vasher thing or he just like escaped yeah from one place and then was like i'm gonna be fine here yeah
0: he's just chilling living life yeah I mean, it seems like he's been with Dalinar for a while because he's here in this flashback and then he is present in, I think, Way of Kings as like a scout or a messenger of some kind in the yeah. war- the army.
1: Let's go to everyone's favorite world hopper and then wrap up for some Hoid sightings. Hoid definitely made some appearances at the end of the book. Hint hint, Brandon has also said that Hoyd will end Rhythm of War as well. And that's I
0: mean, that's been the uh that's been the trend. Been trend. Yes.
1: But in the epilogue of Oathbringer, It's really touching. Yeah, it's so cute. I mean, Hoyt is this character who we never quite know exactly what he's doing. He spent a lot of the first two books just insulting people as the king's wit. But here he is saving a woman in Kolinar. They're still... They said it could take months or years to fully move out all the humans and then fully move in all the Parshmen. And it's just a reminder about how humans generally, like us in the real world, are very bad at processing time and bad at processing large numbers. So, like, when you say a city of 100,000 people, what does it take to move all of those people and, like, find new places for them? And, like, you if you have a city and it's your one big city around, you can't just take the people and, like, move them out. There's nowhere to go to. They're in the big city because... There's nothing else outside the city or everything outside the city is small. But Hoyt is rescuing a woman. And tragically, this is a woman who lost her child. And she is incapable of moving. She's in like a
0: catatonic state, basically. And he goes to retrieve a small girl who is maybe like four years old who has just been sitting inside of a building with her dead mother
1: yeah so he's like finding these two people who have been hit by tragedy who a need right there's yeah.
0: a, a baby looking for a mom and a mom looking for a baby yeah and he brings them together in this touching moment using some awakening also
1: he definitely uses some awakening uh he makes a little moppet or a little uh a little doll. A little doll come to life. And that's what brings the girl out of her hiding. Ooh,
0: note on that too. When he he puts the the girl into the mother's arms, he lets her keep the little doll. And then he touches the doll and he says,
1: I need you. Take
0: care of her. Yes. He Which I think is a new command. Yes. Yeah,
1: And so this girl now has a hoid-created...
0: Magic doll. Magic
1: doll that will protect her.
0: I really hope we see her again in the future. I yes. want to know what this doll does for her.
1: Oh, I hope this girl becomes like new lift and then she's like <laughs> running around just with her dolls as aside. With her kick. little dolly, yeah. like dee dee dee. Come on, little boy, bring her. <laughs> just starts the whole process over again. And then of course, Hoyd is on his way to accomplish something else while he's being nice to the people in Kolinar, he's looking for a cryptic he actually says i believe that my purpose here was for me to find you speaking to the cryptic and this is of course something that hoyd seems to be doing across the cosmere we know he's a misborn we know that he has awakening lots of breaths uh he has his yolan kind of light weaving magic And now at the end of Oathbringer, uh, he says, look, man, again, to the cryptic, who's not a man, (laughs) says, look, they're hunting for you. They're going to kill you. You can either come with me or probably die. And I'll tell you some truths. I've got some juicy ones, says life before death. And that ends Oathbringer.
0: This is a great place for me to bring up an idea that a podcast fan uh, messaged us a little while ago, which is that when Hoyt is talking to Shalon, he mentions that he long ago took an oath to be there when he was needed
1: is a stone ward like
0: exactly so this person and i'm sorry i don't have your name but thank you for writing in to us was saying like do you think that maybe hoid was going to become a stone ward or like was a stone ward or can he be both and i just thought that was a great question do we think that hoid somehow can be like two orders of knights radiant
1: that would be amazing and of course Hoyd would be the one to do that obviously if any of them were.
0: i am kind of hoping for that i'm hoping that he is going to be a stone ward and a light weaver
1: that's it folks our longest podcast to go over the final bit of Oathbringer. rhythm of war pre-order now if it's out whenever you're listening to this read it now read it again read it one more time <laughs> read it forever Find us on social media, Twitter, Reddit, Facebook, we're everywhere.
0: In terms of schedule, we will probably be taking a short break after this podcast is released. As we've mentioned, we have some IRL, real life stuff going on, but we are planning to hop on and do a few more episodes in the lead up to Rhythm of War, possibly Dawn Shard, if we can get our hands on it, possibly some Words of Brandon episodes slash general updates on all the stuff that's going to be happening as we almost get book
1: four. Thank you so much for staying with us. And for those of you that have been recently rating or reviewing, this will be our very last time of the year. Asking for ratings and reviews it helps wherever you have time to write some stuff for this itunes or your pocket Casts or whatever you got leave a rating write a review they really help people find the podcast
0: and welcome to all of the new podcast listeners thanks for being here until next time life before death
1: strength before weakness
0: journey before destination